We are studying the book of? Yes. And tonight, we get to move from that section all the way to that section. We're going to finish that section, and next week, we go to chapter two. Very exciting. Very exciting. So we are surrounded by the letter of Philippians, and we are moving right along. Today, Philippians 1, verse 18b through 30 is what we're looking at. Found in your pew Bibles on page 953. You may find it helpful to not only have the Bible now, but to keep it out as we walk through what God wants to teach us tonight from His Word. I just realized I forgot to pray. That's important. That's, that's, that's really important. Let's do that. God, we are so delighted to be your people who find home in worship, who see our brothers and sisters surrounding us and delighting in praising your name. And we know that we walked in here tonight with lots of different things in our minds. Some of us came in because we're in the choir and we had to be here. Some of us came in because our roommate dragged us. Some of us came in because this is what we do on Sunday nights. And some of us aren't at all sure why we're here. But we know that you have gathered us. That every person you need to be here is here. And we also know that you have promised us that your word does not go out empty, but will accomplish the purpose you have for it. And so now as we open your word, we pray that this old letter penned centuries ago by our big brother Paul will become fresh and anew and alive in ways that surprise us, in ways that only you could do. Holy Spirit, we pray, move in a mighty way tonight that you may receive the glory, Father, Son, Spirit. And it's in the name of the Son that we pray. Amen. Philippians 1. Paul says this, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, this, that is his imprisonment, will turn out for my deliverance. It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not to be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part and to be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I'm convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or an absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. 
For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. And this is God's doing. For he has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. Since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. What are some descriptors that we are told describe the ideal American life, to make it a good life? What are the things you need to have in your life for it to be a good life? What are the things? Money, yes. What else? Home. A big house, not just a home, a big house, a car. Family, television. Barbecue. Okay. All right. Vegetarians are like, not so much, but that's okay. What? Women, did someone say? Okay. Um, maybe eventually one. Okay. Just, just throwing that out there. So romance, let's just cover it that way. This side? TV, what? Someone say Stephen Colbert? Good. These are all the things that we are told we need to have a good life. We need to have people in our lives. We need to have a place for our lives, a big house. We need to have representatives of how much money we have. We have a big television and a good car, and these are elements of the good life. You need to be able to go to Starbucks and get the big thing with all the stuff in it that costs the most money and walk out of there like, this is my vintage latte. <laughs> the big thing, all the things that are in a good life. Well, the Roman soldiers who retired to Philippi were doing it because they were promised the good life. They had finished fighting for the emperor, and the emperor had given them this land that was in Philippi, and whenever we've heard over the last couple of weeks, this was good land. It was good land for farming. Philippi was on a trade route so they could buy and sell. If their farm produced, they could sell it out to different people. They could buy different things. And once you got out of the army, you were free to marry. So you could get one woman, <laughs> and you could settle down, and you could have a family. And Philippi was a good place to do this. So the Roman soldiers who retired and moved to Philippi were given land by the emperor and felt that they had moved into the good life. Things were good. So imagine a Roman soldier. He is very happy that his battle days are behind him. He gets a commemorative case for his sword and he puts that on the wall and he hangs his helmet next to it and um, he gets some purple cloth from Lydia and he like frames all of his medals on the purple cloth so his den looks really good and manly and he's got like the 72-inch plasma in there. and You know, he's, he's living the good life. And he's found a, a wonderful woman from Philippi, and they've got two kids, and he's feeling very content with his life. And he's hanging out with his war buddies, hanging out with his army buddies. And he's, he's having lunch with one of them, and one of them says to him, you know, I, I don't know if this would interest you at all, but so, so there's this Jewish guy 
who's been coming to town, and he, he's saying the most fascinating things about this Jewish teacher who lived a while back, and he lived, but then he died, and then he rose again, and I know I'm talking too fast, but just hear me out. So a Roman soldier listens to his friend, and because they've been through a lot together, he decides to give him the benefit of the doubt. And he and his wife go over for dinner to the, to the friend and his wife, and they talk more about this Jesus. They talk more about Paul and the teachings in Jewish scripture. And our Roman soldier friend can see the eyes of his wife light up when she hears them talk about the fact that there's a religion that has a place for her. And he hears them talk about their community, a community where Greeks and Romans get together, where slaves and free people get together, where soldiers and citizens get together. And they're fascinated by this. And they go over and they get involved in this community. And for the first time in their lives, our Roman soldier and his wife realize that there's something true to this God business. And this is nothing like the pagan myths that they grew up with. This is nothing like the cults that they knew. This is fresh and alive and inspiring and full of promise. And they are told that the sins that they've committed in the past can be forgiven. And they are so overwhelmed by the, by the story. They're so, they're so animated by the narrative that they've been told that that just starts bubbling out of them. He's at the gym and he starts talking about it with somebody and, you know, she, she goes to Rotary and she starts talking about it with somebody else. And then they find interesting things start to happen. Fewer people start inviting them out to the theater. And then they realize a whole month has gone by and no one's had them over for dinner. And our Roman soldier goes to to lunch with a bunch of his buddies and he starts to tell them about Jesus, this, this Messiah, this, this king. And he sees the worn and wrinkled faces of his comrades grow dark. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Caesar is king. Caesar is the one who's given you everything you've ever had, the land that you're on, the building we're in, your entire career. You wouldn't be married. You wouldn't have kids. You wouldn't have any of this if it wasn't for Caesar. Caesar gave you everything. Caesar is the only king. What are you talking about with this Jesus king business? Some Jew who died? Are you out of your mind? And he finds that he's not welcome at the officer's club anymore. And his kids aren't allowed to play with the kids of the other soldiers anymore. And he and his wife get together with their Christian community and they hear from the slaves that the slaves are getting the worst possible assignments in their households. And they hear from the business people that they're being mocked, that they're investing in a fairy tale. And they hear from Lydia and others who spy and sell that their stalls in the market are being boycotted. And they think, wow, we moved out here for the good life. And now there's only suffering.
in the purple book, one of the books that we're using for our study. It said this. Human beings are experiential creatures, yet in many ways we insulate our lives, keeping our experience of Christ's transformation limited. The shallow claims and seductions of the world seem much more real and irresistible. As a result, many Christ followers don't have a clue how numb we really are, how shallow our prayers have become, how anemic our expressions in worship sound in comparison with spirit-inspired praise. The promises of God are more like a marinade than the meat of our lives. We can attempt a life of faith or not, depending on our appetites each day. In this line, we do not value Christ enough to be inconvenienced by him for very long. We do not value Christ enough to be inconvenienced by him for very long. Inconvenience. Inconvenience is the thing we all fight against. We do not want to be inconvenienced because here in America, Comfort is all. We want the big house. We want the big TV. And in front of the big TV, we want the all-American lazy boy. And we don't want just the regular lazy boy. We want the lazy boy that has the massage features. And we want the lazy boy with the cooler and the armrest. We want the lazy boy that has the pocket for the remote controls. Because here in America, visions of the good life are all about comfort. Comfort is our Caesar. How many of you don't raise your hands? How many of you have watched a television show that you don't want to watch because the remote is too far away and you don't want to get up and go over and get it? How many of you have taken one of those little yellow student senate bikes and ridden it from like the science building to the commons? How many of you walked into the dining hall and you saw that they no longer had trays and you were incredibly annoyed because now your life has become so hard? <laughs> Comfort, convenience. It's all about us. This is what we're working toward here, isn't it? This is what we're setting our lives up for. This is why you're at Calvin College, for the big car and the big house and the big TV. You're here for the lazy boy with the big cooler and the armrest, right? Because that's what everybody tells you this is supposed to be about. What's your major? What's the next question? What are you going to do with it? Because you gotta have something to do. You gotta have a plan. You gotta know how you're gonna get the big house. Do you see how hard it is to be inconvenienced by Christ? 
when we are people who have been trained to become impatient if there are three people in the line ahead of us at Starbucks? Do you see how hard it is to be let yourself become inconvenienced by Christ when you get livid if your cell phone battery dies and you don't have the charger? Do you see how hard it is to let yourself be inconvenienced by Christ when every decision you make over the course of the day is all about your own comfort? And you're told a thousand times a day that this is exactly where your priorities should be. Those little ads that come up on the side of your Facebook page tell you these things. Oh, you're single? Click here, because there's lots of cute boys. Oh, you're working, on an edu- you're working on a degree? Well, click here, because this is a much easier way to get it. Why would you spend all that time and all that money when you can just click here, and in a couple of online courses, you can have it? We're told again and again and again over the course of the day that there are lots of things we can do to be more comfortable. It's all about your comfort. It's all about your ease. Don't take a risk. The big sign outside of Starbucks right now says, take comfort in ritual, which means, of course, buy Starbucks. (laughs) Take comfort in this. In this section of the letter of Paul to the church at Philippi, he's not so much about the comfort. The first read through this section, Paul seems a little wandery, kind of all over the place. He starts out with this whole, uh, you know, I really don't know if I want to live or if I want to die because there are pros and cons to each. Let me kind of spell them out for you. If I die, you know, that's good because I get to be with Jesus. But if I live, then I get to be with you and kind of see what the mission of the church is going to be. And that would be really fascinating. I really don't know. Let me think about it a little bit more. It's kind of this little soliloquy, you know, the little you know, skull in the hand, to be or not to be. I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, and then he does this big shift to... But you people, listen up. This is how you got to live. Live a life worthy of the gospel to which you've been called. That would be great. Strive together. Stand firm. Don't be intimidated by your enemies. Oh, because you know what God's deal is? God has given you the privilege of not only believing, but also suffering. Okay? There. Good. What? What is he talking about? Well, if we take a little slower walk through this section of scripture, we'll see that Paul knew exactly to whom he was writing. He's writing to soldiers, right? And the way to get to be a retired soldier is to do what? Live, yes, yes. You get to be a retired soldier, you get to be a veteran by not dying. And so he's writing to a group of people who are living in a city that's filled with soldiers, filled with retired soldiers. These people all knew what it was like to face death. They knew what that was like. They had a healthy respect for it. 
Many of those people in that city probably walked around with scars that told stories of battles and engagements. So the idea of talking about life and death wasn't particularly foreign in the life of a soldier. But what is really interesting is the way that Paul presents it. He says, for me, living is Christ, dying is gain. And in the Greek, there's, a, there's some fun alliteration. Fun being a relative term. Living is Christos, he says. Dying is kerdos. Christos, kerdos. Christos, of course, Christ. Kerdos is profit, gain and loss, money coming in. This is how dying looks to me, he says. Now, in Greco-Roman myths, dying was not kerdos. It was not profit. Your things did not get better for you. You've read some of the myths. You know how this goes. This is not a place where most people aspire to. But he presents it in a really interesting way. Living is Christos, dying is Kerdos. So already he's kind of putting a different spin on dying. And then he uses this language. And in our translation, it talks about departing, verse 23. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. And the word there for depart is a word that's also used in, in other Greek passages about striking camp. It's what an army does when it's done with its mission. It's better for me to just strike camp and move on and be with Christ. And the army people would have gotten that. Yeah. Yeah. You're in, you're in prison. Things don't look very good. I don't know. Well, we, we kind of understand if you want to check out. Makes good sense to us. What's actually more profound is the living is Christos. So we're talking about people who are suffering for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're hearing a word from a man who was in prison for the sake of Jesus Christ. And he is saying to them, not only don't be afraid of death, which I think is where a lot of us go from this, don't be afraid of death. But I think the more important impetus that Paul is trying to communicate here is don't be afraid of life. Don't be afraid of life. Don't be afraid if they boycott your stall. Don't be afraid if your friends fall away. Don't be afraid if the sacrifices that you are making for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ cost you. Living is Christ, and Christ was all about suffering. Don't be afraid to live. Living is Christ. And then he does this shift in the next section. In verse 27, the way it's translated here, it says, only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What the actual word is there, be a good citizen. Be a good citizen of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now these were soldiers. They knew what it was like to represent the emperor. They knew what it was like to represent the empire, to fight for Caesar and for Rome. They knew about citizenship. One way in which to become a citizen then was to fight in the army. So some of the people who were hearing this, 
had staked their lives on the line for Rome in order to become citizens. They knew that being a citizen meant commitment to the sake of the other, commitment to the sake of the polis, the city, the whole. So Paul says, you soldiers, soldier up. Be good citizens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stand firm in one spirit, again, an army command, stand firm. You know how you lose a battle? Stand weakly. You win? You stand firm. What else do you do? You strive side by side in one mind. In the ranks of the Romans, you had to stand side by side. And some scholars think that their shields actually hooked into each other so that you would be hooked into the person next to you. And if that person bailed, the whole line could go down. So Paul is saying here, soldier up, stand firm, strive side by side with each other. This is what it's about. And then, verse 28, be in no way intimidated by your opponents, which is, which is a, it's a little calling them out a little bit, like, you're Roman soldiers and you're scared? I don't think you are. I don't think you are. Don't be, oh, you're, no, you're not scared. Stand up. Strive side by side for the gospel. Don't be intimidated by your opponents. You faced scarier things than this. Come on. Then he says this, the end of verse 28, and this is God's doing. For he has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. And we read that and get a little nervous. What is he talking about? That God's granting the privilege of believing and suffering that that makes us a little squeamish. But these were soldiers living in a soldier town, and they knew what it was like to fight, to be wounded, to watch their friends die for the privilege of defending Rome. It wasn't enough just to be a believer. It wasn't just enough to be a citizen who paid taxes. You stood up. You had the privilege of fighting for Rome, for fighting for Caesar. Imagine that you're on a soccer team. Some of you don't have to imagine. You actually are on soccer teams. Imagine that you're on a soccer team and, you know, you're not a starter, but you're not somebody who spends the whole time on the side. Eventually, often, you get in the game. Maybe not super long. It depends on what the score is and what's going on. And imagine it's a rainy, pouring down afternoon and the field's a mess. You've got 12 minutes left. You haven't been in the game yet. And in fact, you've got the rain gear on and you're actually feeling quite comfortable. I mean, your, your cleats are wet, but you know, on the whole, you're, you're fine. It's 1-0. There's 12 minutes left. It's pouring down rain. You're thinking, I'm going to get through this whole game and not have to go in. Are you thinking that? Hmm. You're watching the game, you're watching the game, you're finding the person who plays your position has gone down. She slid down hard. She's coming up slow. And now, which teammate in that particular moment, if the coach is over here and she turns her eyes toward you, which teammate in that particular moment is gonna go? 
A witch teammate in that particular moment when her name is called is going to go, ah, could you pick Julie? Because I'm actually good here. I got the rain. I'm, I'm, I'm good. No. Because you're watching the clock. It's a one nothing game. And there are 12 minutes left. And you're thinking, I want to get in the game. I want to get in the game. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Bring it, bring it. And you see her slip and you see her fall. And you see her go down hard. And as soon as you know she's okay, <laughs> your eyes are locked on the coach. And you're thinking, put me in, put me in, put me in, put me in. And as soon as the slightest head turn comes, the rain gear is off. And you're jogging on the sidelines and you're doing the warm-up-y thingies. You know that they always do on the sidelines? You are ready to go. And you're like, put me in, put me in, put me in. The coach puts you in and you spend it all for the last 11 minutes of the game. You are out there. You are muddy. You are covered in rain because you've got skin in the game. You have been granted the privilege of suffering with your teammates. That's what Paul is talking about. God just hasn't just put you on the team. He wants you to get your skin in the game. Get in there. Fight. Run around like a crazy person. Get some skin in the game. He has granted you the privilege not just to believe, but also to suffer. There's this great line from the movie, You've Got Mail. <laughs> it's my favorite. I have it memorized. The bookstore owner, Kathleen Kelly, has to close her cute little children's bookstore because the big back fox books has come in and they're going to take all our money away. She's at brunch with her friends. It's Kathleen and her friend Bertie. And her friend Bertie says to her, Kathleen, what have you decided to do? And Kathleen says, close. I've decided to close. And Bertie says to her, that is the brave thing to do. And Kathleen says, oh, you are such a liar. And Bertie says, I know it doesn't feel like that now. I know you feel like a big fat failure now. But then she says this, you are daring to imagine that you can have a different life. You are daring to imagine that you can have a different life. In this passage of Scripture, God is daring us to imagine that we can have a different life. A life that isn't focused all on the elusive romantic relationship. A life that isn't focused all on getting the good job after graduation and someday getting the big house and the TV and the lazy boy. You can have a different life. You can have a life that is marked by somebody who just doesn't believe but somebody who gets some skin in the game. You can have a different life. You can have a life that involves sacrifice for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What would your life look like if you were ready to be inconvenienced by Christ? Maybe it would look something like standing up in the middle of your next floor meeting and saying, we are not swearing on this floor anymore. I'm sick of it.
Maybe it would mean saying to your parents, I refuse to worry about money because I believe that God has called me to be here and he will be faithful and I will be faithful to him. Maybe being saying to somebody, no, I'm not going to that kind of party because I don't want to become that kind of person. Maybe it means saying, I'm finally going to get help with my eating disorder. I'm finally going to talk to somebody about the abuse. I am not going to let my suffering or my fear of suffering inhibit me from getting in the game and letting God do everything he wants to do in my life. We were talking this week in my Bible study about how so often when we talk about the privilege of suffering for Christ and being inconvenienced. We kind of imagine that we got to pack all the things in a really tiny little duffel bag and move to Papua New Guinea and become a missionary and like dig wells and stuff. And the people in my study said, you know, the truth is we can be inconvenienced by Christ just by actually having to speak up for Christ here. Saying to the person that you're married to or the person that you're dating, that prayer is going to be central in the relationship, and if he or she isn't in, then it's done. It could look like standing up and saying, I don't want to go to that kind of a concert. I don't think that's right. You could say, I'm not going to that kind of movie. So I don't think that's right. Sacrifice for the gospel of Jesus Christ could mean when the alarm goes off, you actually get up out of bed and you go to church. Sacrifice for the gospel of Jesus Christ may mean that you make a commitment that every week you come to loft, you bring a dollar because that's all you've got, but you're going to bring a dollar every week for the community care fund to remind yourself that it's not all about you. What does it look like for you to get some skin in the game? He's granted you the privilege not just of believing, but of also suffering. Because what we know from the gospel of Jesus Christ is that in his suffering, redemption comes. It is in suffering that we experience the grace of God. It is in suffering that we get forgiven. Because of the suffering of Jesus Christ, you and I sit here tonight. God has granted us the privilege not just of believing in the cross of Jesus Christ, but of living lives that are cruciform, that are formed to dying. Because we are not afraid to die, and we are not afraid to live. God is daring you to imagine that you can have a different life. Live it. Live it. Live it. Living is Christos. Will you pray with me? Our God, we thank you for 
our brothers and sisters in Philippi, whose stories we can guess at, but whose names you know. You know them. You know what their suffering was about. You know how they felt rejected by their community. And you know us. You know our sufferings. You know how we avoid suffering. You know how we cling to comfort. You know how we avoid you because you draw us into deep pain so that you can heal it. And so we pray, gracious God, that you again will show mercy on us. Show mercy on us. And invite us to get into the game. That we may have the privilege not just of believing, but also of suffering. And in that suffering, to bear witness to the wounds of Christ because by those wounds we are healed. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.